Welcome to the Keeping Things Alive podcast out of Buffalo, New York. My name is Laura Evans, and I'm the author of Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law. I'm also a natural resources planner, an active environmental lawyer, animal lover, and gardener. John Washington co-creates the podcast with me. John is an organizer, political trainer and educator, and Afrofuturist. The Keeping Things Alive podcast is here to explore the opportunities and challenges as we all live together on this beautiful, harsh, and interconnected planet Earth. Welcome to another episode of the Keeping Things Alive podcast, and I'm here right now with John Washington. Hi, John. Hi, Laura. How are you doing? I'm okay. It's pretty early in the morning, and this is the first episode that I've recorded uh, I think we actually tried to record, we did record one in January, but uh, I didn't post it. So yeah, um, it's been a long time and I think I'm a little little rusty, but I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm a little rusty myself, but I think we'll figure it out. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we're. this is another season of the Keeping Things Alive podcast. And I just sort of wanted to start with where we are and yeah when we are because it's been a little while um do you want to start i guess that's a pretty quick answer right so we are in we are in buffalo new york in 2022 yeah and today is september 1st so somehow it's already yeah gone through eight full months of 2022 (laughs) um yeah what's been going on here in buffalo i don't know this summer like what's coming up this fall uh well obviously there was a uh, violent white supremacist terror attack and people have had lots of different reactions to that i think that you know we saw a lot of people come out and give a lot of support at first and some people are still doing that and just yeah figuring out how to exist with that information and what happened what continues to happen and um yeah just the deep and old wounds that 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 event exposed. Yeah, and what you're talking about is the um, the Tops racist massacre on um, May 14th. And yeah, it happened less than a mile from, yeah, where we are right now. And yeah, it's definitely, it's still happening and still unfolding. And yeah, it does seem like a lot of people have forgotten or moved on or there was, yeah, how many shootings like since then. But this one yeah feels like particularly um just yeah personal and close to home and then um yeah it just it's really wild to think about like this happening here and how it's just going to affect buffalo really forever and then all the other places that things have happened yeah it's just it's a lot um yeah so that has happened this year um yeah, I think the last time we actually published an episode was talking about a ballot review last year. So we were in the middle of a big mayor race. And um, so, yeah, I guess we're coming up now into the fall on another election cycle. And I, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to say anything about like election cycles or how much time has passed or anything like that? I don't know. I, I keep getting hung up on time in this uh, podcast, I think. Well, I think um, this election cycle has been sad and disappointing and uh, uneventful confirmation of 
of the power that exists. I think there were three seats in the New York State Senate uh, that moved to the Democratic side and some good things that have happened. Um, we also should do an episode just about some of the uh, challenges to the redistricting lines that have been drawn that are kind of changing you know, politics and the way that populational politics looks across the country this year. Um, and also the reason that you haven't produced a podcast this much this year is because you've been waking up early to write a book that is now here. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah, I did, um, I wrote a book this year. Yeah. That has been the biggest thing. And I, I did publish a episode where I just talked about it a couple of months ago just to give people a little bit of sense of it, but yeah, it is actually really here. And I definitely didn't work on this podcast or publish as many episodes because I, I did change it up. Um, yeah, one creative process for another, I guess. So yeah, I guess that is what we're yeah here to talk about and focus on right now in many ways. It's also to open up the podcast for this whole season because I do have a lot of intentions of sharing a lot more information about the book and sustainability on this podcast and then, um, yeah, weave the two together. So I guess I want you to ask me questions about it. So I stop trailing <laughs> going on and on. Um, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your book? And I know you already did an episode on this, but for those who haven't heard it, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your book and why you wrote it? Sure. Yeah. And honestly, like that episode happened so long ago that I don't remember what I said in it exactly. And I'm pretty sure I was in the middle of the process and it was when I was doing the pre-sale campaign this spring. So I was actually still in the revisions process at that point. I had written a full, a full first draft. Um, and then I was revising it while I was doing a, a pre-sale campaign. So yeah, what was the question? <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your book and why you wrote it? Yeah, yeah. So my book is called Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law. And it is technically called a thought leadership book. It's a nonfiction book. And it's been a little bit difficult to categorize um, because it does include a lot of personal information about my life. So there is some memoir aspects to it. But I wove that in with a lot of information about the U.S. environmental law system because I wanted to explain to anybody that wanted to know whether they were considered more of an expert and then all the way down to youth and I, I would say probably maybe some middle school, high school. Um, but I really wanted it to want it to be an accessible way for people to understand like what environmental law is and honestly like how messed up it is and so I go through all the different um, seasons of my life or chapters of my life whatever you want to say I start in childhood and then I kind of go to college law school and evolve into my various jobs and I try to explain yet yeah, different environmental laws and then how I interacted with those systems and ultimately uh, really it you know most of them didn't work out for me I I found a lot of them to be unsustainable and so it's just kind of this yeah chasing sustainability through the law it's been my path and quest through all these different experiences 
And can you tell us maybe one or two lessons that you share in the book that you think are really powerful? Um, okay. (laughs) And I really, I should have them out in front of me. It's been a little while, but I think, you know, the, the big, I think that like we are a part of the earth and then the earth is a part of us. And so whatever we do to the earth, we do to ourselves. And I think that's sort of something that came up right away in my childhood. I grew up around Lake Erie, around a lot of water. My dad's a swim coach. I became a swimmer starting at age nine. I did a lot of swim camps. So I was in and around water and I was you know, kind of learning how to move through the water and learn to be like an efficient swimmer. Um, and so I think a big lesson is working with nature instead of against it. Um, that is a big lesson. I think in total, I have like 33 lessons throughout the book. Um, but then the other big one is just that the U.S. environmental law system is not sustainable at its root. And so all of these attempts to kind of like remake it or make a better law or a new program or whatever, um, I really do see how they're all set up to fail. And I try to explain that in my book too. I think you do an amazing job of explaining it. And I think it's a unique book because, you know, it does what, you know, storytellers do, which is to tie information to personal stories and experiences, because that's, you know, traditionally how people have processed and learned. And I think it's um, just a really amazing combination of information and personal storytelling. And uh, yeah, really, really excited to see what the response is to the book. Um, very timely, the Supreme Court has been making some powerful decisions about our environmental lives and and the, the sustainability of uh, the U.S. environmental legal system. Can you talk a little bit about what has happened in the Supreme Court in this year and how it relates to some of the lessons that you want to share in your book? Yeah, for sure. I, I knew that there was a Supreme Court case that was going to be coming out like as I finished the book. And I was, I don't know, I just, I was a little nervous about that. Or, you know, oh, maybe the Supreme Court case will come out and my entire book will like not be relevant anymore or something. And that that is not true. It, um, it really did line up with it pretty perfectly. And I think that my book can help people understand the Supreme Court decision better. So it's called West Virginia versus US EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. So I explain what the EPA does a lot in my book. But basically, I I do explain this. I have one chapter in the book called Environmental Law 101. And that is a little different than the other chapters where I am talking more about myself. This is really just this broad overview. And so I talk about how there are no federal laws specifically addressing climate change. And that causes a lot of confusion in the legal system. And there's a lot of tension and lawsuits between states and the federal government because there is no explicit law from Congress that gives EPA the direction to regulate greenhouse gas emissions through the Clean Air Act because the Clean Air Act was passed in the 1970s and then it has been amended i think the last time was the 90s so there really isn't a mention of climate change in it and so that is what the supreme court uh really reversed uh the epa on they said that there wasn't this like 
uh, I mean, I'm not using the right legal terminology, but there wasn't like an explicit um, uh, delegation of power to the US EPA to do all the greenhouse gas programs that it has been doing. And so it really used like very strong language about how like government overreach. And so really any any uh, federal agency that's coming out with a program, um, it really calls into question like those programs unless it's like explicitly laid out in a law that's been passed by Congress. So, um, yeah, that goes in with my book and that's what the Supreme Court decided. And then follow up, you know, a few months later, less, I don't know how long later, but this, um, this new uh, Inflation Reduction Act that's been passed by Congress and this huge budget bill and stuff, I, they did actually um, do, a, they gave EPA some explicit like greenhouse gas authority in that inflation reduction bill. And there's a lot more to say about all the like climate aspects in there and what they're benefiting. And that is where a lot of the Inflation Reduction Act and all those climate um, programs and incentives and things that they're doing to like increase like the production of wind and solar and like electric vehicles, that actually does go against a lot of what I'm saying in my book because I do see that a lot of these like new green solutions are really unsustainable because we don't have a way to make all of the materials that we need and we don't have a plan to dispose of the waste. Um, I just read an article for out of California that it's been about 20 years since they started a really big rooftop solar program. Now all those solar panels, they're 20 years old. They don't work anymore. And they're going into landfills. They have a lot of crazy, like, uh, metals in them and stuff. And they're just, you know, it's very much like nuclear energy where they've never come up with a way to dispose of the waste. So, yeah, the, I think, yeah, my book is very timely. I think it actually has it's a really good guide for people to have a better understanding of what's going on because yeah I've been you know as soon as the Supreme Court case came out like all the all the big green nonprofits you know like oh my gosh this is terrible like you know they're signing our death sentence and all this stuff and it's just like these like weird like environmental law like things have been getting debated and you know have been a problem for a long time and so yeah just this like alarmist like sky is falling kind of thing really shuts people down and doesn't allow us to actually address what's the problems which is really industrialization that's another thing that I came up with not came up with but I really like felt strongly about as I was writing my book is like Climate change is a symptom of industrialization. It's not the cause of our problems. Um, I think it's, we're blaming, yeah, we're blaming a, a symptom and not a cause. And that's a powerful tactic of gaslighters uh, mm-hmm. to, to switch cause and effect. And, and then anything that is centered around increasing production and just the law itself is, is really about kind of maintaining the normalcy of power relations in society and um, I think your book really very well highlights in this case just further reinforces um, a lot of those sustainability lessons yeah so this I do want to say one more thing um, not about the Supreme Court or Inflation Reduction Act but before when you were talking about how you know I do weave a lot of personal stories in there and I just I want to say that, like, I am a pretty, like, private person. I'm relatively shy. I don't love to be sharing, like, personal details um, 
about myself uh in you know in a book like why would I do that but I do think like I've just everything that I've really read about climate change and how difficult and environmental issues and how difficult it is for people to wrap their brains around something that isn't always apparent you know when it's obvious when there's a huge flood or a hurricane like there you know there you see it but on the day-to-day like you just have bigger things to worry about so um there's one particular book um called don't even think about it why our brains are wired to ignore climate change by george marshall i've been talking about that book for years but that really just really explain the psychology of how people think about climate change in particular and how it's they're really just yes set up to ignore it and so but the one way to like get into people's psyche is through storytelling and personal stories and you know everyday people and what they've experienced and I just think out of a lot of everyday people I'm someone that has been sitting in these issues and looking at it from all different sides and stakeholders now for over 15 years and so I just thought it was really important to bring bring myself into the story as well, even though I am talking about the Clean Air Act and the EPA and, you know, things that will make people's eyes glaze over. I'm hoping that, like, while I also talk about, like, growing up with my dogs or getting divorced or trying to find a job that, like, I was able to, you know, use my skills and also practice sustainability and just all the hardships about that, um, what I did when the pandemic hit and all my plans flew out the window, um, that kind of thing. So I'm really hoping that that will just yet draw people in and have it be a more, yeah, entertaining and interesting and personal account of sustainability instead of, you know, there's so many like textbooks and, you know, just really thick books and dense language. And I just wanted something different that people could actually um, pick up and read. I think it takes like four hours to get through um that's at least what it's saying online and things so yeah I just I want it to be accessible and and appealing to as many to more people than what usually look at environmental problems yeah and I think that a lot of that is also by design and this really cuts through the purpose of um this type of writing and this information is to be useful to like human beings in their lives and I think that um, you've done a great job of relating this information to a real person's life, which will help people process it. Um, and then you also, um, you know, are, are bringing in a lot of inspiration. I mean, it's called Silent Seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even this concept that we are a part of the earth and the earth is part of us is, you know, something that really isn't that old in American culture. Um, but I guess do you want to talk a little bit about the inspiration for the name. and Yeah, sure. So... I've wanted to call it Silent Seasons for a long time. I guess I've had some kind of idea for this book uh, for a couple of years now. And that goes back to a book called Silent Spring. And that was written in 1960 or 62. I think it was 1960 by Rachel Carson, who she was a science writer. I think she worked for... um, one of the conservation agencies for the federal government. She did a lot of like writing about um, nature and then she published Silent Spring. And at first it was like a series of essays in the New Yorker. So she kind of published every chapter like in the New Yorker and then eventually to this like full book publication. And it really, um, 
it talked about the chem- mainly chemicals in agriculture and like DDT. And the reason it was called Silent Spring is that there were, she talked about this like particular, um, you know, countryside place where there were no birds singing anymore. So it went silent because all of the agricultural pesticides and things had killed off the birds. And then she really explained how like our bodies are just like those birds and they, you know, there's not a wall between us and nature. It all kind of permeates through. And so the um the poisoning that was happening to the animals is happening to us and then that particular this book it it sold a couple million copies but that was a big deal i mean for any environmental book like that's huge and it really it's set you know they talk about it being a catalyst for the environmental movement so you know 10 years later is when there was the first earth day in 1970 but a lot of it was the first like it really it was a more accessible book for people. A lot of housewives read it, things like that. And then, um, yeah, 10 years later, uh, there were a couple, there were many other factors too, but 20 million people, uh, celebrated and protested in the streets, um, on the first earth day. And then 18 environmental laws were passed after that. So I am calling this silent seasons because it's a nod to Rachel Carson and Silent Spring. I guess one more thing about that book is that Rachel Carson had cancer at the time when I think when she wrote it, and then she passed away like uh, less than two years after its release. And so she knew it was going to be controversial. She knew it was going to be a big deal. She had people around her that were like set up to continue to like defend the book from you know the chemical industry and a bunch of different like industrial lobbyists were really like you know, they put out a lot of campaigns against her and, you know, like tried to like do basically, yeah, some sort of witch hunt against her. And, but she ended, she was sick at the time. And then, yeah, she died two years later. And I, you know, her book has been put out of pedestal and a lot, well, honestly, like a lot of people who are younger, I talk about this book and they don't even know that Silent Spring exists. But for the people that do know that it exists, they hold it up as a pedestal as like this, like absolutely like amazing thing that has saved all of our lives. And I think, you know, um, like, yeah, (laughs) someone recently emailed me this, like Rachel Carson would be rolling around in her grave right now. Like the, the way that like chemical companies have been able to like go through loopholes and just the scale of environmental degradation today, like I wanted to continue her message or at least a thread of it and like continue on with, with all of this and just saying that, you know, we haven't, we haven't figured it out. Um, the system that was set up in response to Silent Spring, like it's not, it's not working. And, and then Silent Seasons also has a lot to do with me being silent and me not talking. And I think a something that's interesting. I'm always really hard on myself. Um, that's just something that I continue to try to work on being less hard on myself. Um, but when I originally started writing this book, I was saying, oh, I've been silent. I haven't been talking about like my jobs and how they've been difficult or, you know, they're not working or why I quit and I haven't been vocal enough. Well, I also have been silent because a lot of these jobs, like I'm a lawyer and so it's privileged and confidential information. And so, you know, in my head, I had the idea of like sharing all these like just totally wild stories and things that I've seen. And then I'm like, actually, no, I I really can't say that. So 
um, you know, I still am silent in a lot of ways, but some of it is like not my fault, you know? Um, but yeah, those are all the reasons. And then, you know, instead of calling it silent spring, like that's just one season, I'm calling it silent seasons. Like it's all of them. I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years and I've tried to make this podcast. I've tried to write about it. I've made websites. Um, but I just, I constant, I still want to share this with more people because I know that people really deeply care about it. I know that their like well-being and survival in many ways like depends on it. But everybody's just so busy and worried. You know, we've got a pandemic, we've got elections, we've got houses, we've got police violence, we've got white supremacy, like terrorist attacks, like down the street. And so it's just like, it's really hard to think about this in addition to everything else. But I felt like I really needed to do that. And I also... One last thing about this is I think a lot of other people have been silent too. I mean, you know, you've get like a lot of, there's a lot of protests and organizing like going on, but when it comes to like books that are written like this, I mean, I just posted my book up on Amazon and Kobo and just by nature of being an environmental reference book, um, I'm already like the number 22 book like in all of Kobo. I guess that's probably for the U.S., but still like it's just a lot of people have been silent like people aren't talking about this and so i i want to bring up the conversation a lot more yeah and i think people have been silenced and also the enormity of the problem and ultimately the fact that we all don't have a lot of power over the problem in ways that are structured and like easy to do Right. We all have this like idea that we are all powerful people and that we can like act in our own interests and do things. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of work to do that together. And not, and what you're saying in this book is that none of the mechanisms for accountability for an individual person um, are are set up to be effective. And I think that's just important for people to to know um, and to sit with. And I mean, you've you've highlighted these things on your podcast before, and we're getting into season seven uh, of your podcast which i'm really excited about because of your book and because uh of the way that people can get a lot out of you know what you've done in the past and the interviews that you've done what you've said yourself um and also tying it in with the anchor of a book and its sustainability lessons can you talk a little bit about uh what this season of the podcast is going to be like yeah definitely so I, yeah, I've been breaking up the podcast in seasons now uh, since I got foot surgery and like couldn't just keep going on forever. And um, so, yeah, I think season six, it kind of just like fell off and I started writing the book. So now with this new season, um, another thing that happened over the past year, which I think I've mentioned, but I want to be a little more explicit, is that I only have the season six episodes of the Keeping Things Alive podcast like live right now. And I I took down seasons one through five um, last summer. I I did that just because there's like a number of podcast episodes that I just personally didn't feel comfortable sharing anymore. I didn't feel like they were, um, you know, I'm not like a trained journalist, but I, I felt like they weren't like honest, um, in a lot of ways. And so I, I took some of them, I took all of them down just to, and then to not worry about sorting through them at the moment. Um, but there's so many episodes up there, you know, I took all of them down just because of like two or three, you know? And so I really want to re-release, um, 
a lot of the episodes, especially about sustainability for this uh, season, because I still have a job as a planner during the day. I'm still doing this book. And so I, I think, you know, one of my, one of my other like things I'm working on is not to like overcommit myself. And I, I don't think this season isn't going to be something where I'm off like interviewing people all the time. Instead, I'm going to be re-releasing old episodes that are particularly like related to the book and sustainability. And then I am going to sprinkle in some like new interviews in between, but I I want to focus mostly on um, this book, Silent Seasons, um, some of the other authors that I, so I wrote this book in a book program through Georgetown University and there was like, there's like 50 other people that wrote books with me at the same time. And so I would, yeah, I want to possibly bring some of them in. Um, there's also... Um, two episodes that I have that I recorded last year and I never published ones with Margaret Wooster who's a water planner um and she just she wrote a book called Meander which is about making space for rivers um and then also Aileen McCluskey she's an herbalist and we did a short segment about red clover that I want to share too so I think a lot of this is like re-releasing older things and then um I also would like to read a couple of chapters like into the podcast. Um, I am planning on reading the introduction and posting that. Um, and then I also like, you know, you've been a part of the Keeping Things Alive podcast on and off for years. We've done like the ballot reviews. We did a COVID special. I've interviewed you also like the Wakanda Alliance and the Galactic Tribe have been on here like with you. And so I would, you know, you've, I want to bring in more uh, information about like what you're doing and what you've been up to because, um, you know, you've done so much with uh, housing and tenant organizing, but also sustainability and environmental stuff and yeah, climate justice and energy democracy. And so, yeah, I, I do want to bring in a lot more of your ideas and people that you want to talk to um, as well. So, yeah, what are what are your thoughts and intentions about this season and this podcast? Um, yeah, I think ultimately, I think your book is a good anchor and reference point for the fact that, that all of society really is unsustainable and has been developed in pockets uh, around profit. Uh, and around different moments where a lot of people made a lot of profit and then just said, we're not going to stop doing that. Um, and I would like to, yeah, continue to bring in those things, especially when it comes to our banking system. Um, you are a, a victim and indentured servant of our student debt system um, that ultimately drives and is one of those reasons why we have, quote unquote, bigger things um, to think about. And so I think, you know, ultimately, like, the concept of interest itself and compound interest is at the root of, of that is the root to me mm -hmm. of, of the unsustainability of our world. And I want to continue working with people to unpack, you know, all of our financial relationships as ecological relationships, as actually relationships of how we manage our planet instead of just individual financial decisions. And there's so many people now ranting and raving about how amazing compound interest is. Um, but the reality is it's cancer that will, will kill the planet and will drive us to accelerate um, all the ways that we're killing the planet. And so to me, that's what's at the root. And I always want to bring that into conversation because I think it's something that our environmental community is, is deeply centered and has been uh, 
violently coerced into not talking about and not acknowledging. Um, so when I think about keeping things alive, I, I think about how everything is financed and all of those numerical relationships that ultimately drive us to want to buy cheaper things, um, get more per purchase and mm-hmm. you know, all of these concepts that really, you know, when I go to the supermarket, like my brain changes mm-hmm. because I have to figure out how to eat, eat and sustain my own life and how the way that we've been set up to sustain our own lives is, is killing us all is something that's like always driven a lot of the work that I do. And I try to be very specific uh, and relational with people where they're at. Uh, and I think this is a space that I can talk more about the bigger picture. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That reminded me of, I'm like, yeah, what are the lessons in silent seasons? But debt is unsustainable is one of them. And I, I do talk about, yeah, just the massive amount of student loan debt I've held over my head and how that, you know, has influenced the jobs that I take and what I do. And yeah, just the amount of pressure that I've been under this whole time. And yeah, it's, it's definitely important to bring up. And it's an important, it has a role in the development of our society, the development of cities and the way we relate to each other that is, is, is defining. I think debt is the most important and impactful idea mm-hmm. um that that has happened in the past 10,000 years and uh, it's why it's, for, it's the reason for so much and so i think it's really important that you know we have a debt based society and that as we start to understand that um that ultimately we have to address that if we're mm-hmm. going to have a more sustainable society um and i think that just mathematically we're going to have to face that we had to face it during covid and we're facing the inflation as a result Mm -hmm. uh, of it and and that's just gonna it's just gonna keep happening and i think you know we're also in a very spiritual moment and literally every single religion on earth and every indigenous culture um you know talks specifically and explicitly about not putting people in debt and also if you do like forgiving it periodically not letting the uh compounding of interest right happen um i mean jesus the 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 most violent you ever see jesus was flipping the tables of the money changers and whipping bankers who were selling indulgences and that literally is is the entire basis of our society so i would love to talk more about this over the course of the season and, and tie it back to some of the lessons you share in your book yeah, thank you. Just real quick about the for, like loan forgiveness part. You're the one that explained to me that that's what was centered around like traditional like jubilees, right? Was like the cancellation of debt. And I know like a few months ago there, yeah, the big like jubilee in like the UK and stuff for like the Queen. And I I just kept looking at them like, oh, so they're gonna forgive every? Can you imagine like the party that would be if everyone's debts were forgiven in that moment instead of just like some weird tradition and celebration? But yeah, I wanted to add that in because every time I hear the word jubilee, I I now know what the, what it means. And and many um, many of the uh, indentured servants who were you know the buffers for the super wealthy people who came to this country to found it uh, were in debtors' prison mm. and debtors' prisons were were emptied into America, Australia, uh, and other colonies. So it's also ironic that you know 
a lot of underprivileged people in Europe came here and were able to cut off their debts and start fresh. And mm. it's just a deep part of, of colonialism and like the acquisition of land and property and uh, of just, you know, industries and production. Um, if it wasn't for debt, our economy could not be this big. Mm. And we're at a point now where it's it's too big and there's more debt than there is money. And once that happens, it never doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll find yeah, we'll, we'll, to yeah. into that. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you. Um, I guess I just want to end with, yeah, like parting thoughts or intentions for this season. And um, I just want me personally, like my intention with this is to just continue to speak up and like work on being less silent and sharing my book as well with as many people as possible and then being open to talk to people about the book because what I'm saying is controversial I think it like just based on like early readers and people I know it is resonating with people but it's still it you know it's it's a lot to take in and it's a lot to talk about so my intention is to really like continue to like get better and better and just more open open at talking with more people like that might not necessarily agree with me and too about a lot of this stuff because that's a big a big theme of this is communication and accountability and i yeah i want to practice what i'm preaching uh i guess just really quickly i just want to say that if you do want to check out the book um you can go to Amazon right now and look up Silent Seasons by Laura Evans. It'll be there as an ebook. Um, same thing with there's a website called Kobo, which is an international um, ebook company. It's sort of like, you know, if you, you know, don't want to support Amazon, you can support another giant company. Um, but this one is a, a little bit more international and people. Yeah, that's where it's going at the retail price. Um, but yeah, so it's it's on Amazon and Kobo right now. And then next month, it's going to also be a physical like soft cover book that you can that you can purchase in the same place. Um, one other company that it'll be going through is called Ingram Spark, and that's more of like the wholesale book selling, and it's the place that stocks libraries and bookstores. So um, that's sort of a stay tuned piece any day now. But I yeah, I just want to be want to be sharing as much as possible and less silence and i would just say for everyone who's listening um please share this book with your friends and family um i think that you know an intention i have for this season is is to make more money and to get more people engaged and listening uh to what you have to say the information that's in your book so for all the folks who are listening you know please continue to support the podcast share it with friends and family uh, share the book and, and have these conversations that are often difficult to have uh, with people because our future depends on it. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Keeping Things Alive podcast. For more information, please visit www.keepingthingsalive.org.